you want to take your scriptures and turn over Luke chapter 2. We're going to get that here in just a moment. And I want to thank Dennis Abram and all of his friends here from Wheeler Rescue Mission. Let's give them a huge hand for coming in this morning. And uh, we're just honored to have everybody here. That's just, uh, that's just amazing. Let's uh, pray and then we'll get rolling this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you for all that you have done for us. And the, the story of Christmas should never get old because of uh, the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice that you made for us. And Lord, it's, uh, it's important to look at Christmas through different perspectives and see how it affected so many others and so many individuals and see how it should still impact us. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, you're probably wondering why you all have a peanut on your chair this morning. And, uh, and here's the deal here. Um, a while back, I was doing some research on George Washington Carver. And I love this guy. At the turn of the 20th century, he was probably, if not the most innovative human being on earth, he was definitely in the top five. Just an amazing man. But one of his uh, traditions, one of the things that he did every day, if you can imagine this, he would get up at 4 a.m. and he absolutely loved to go out in the nature and he would spill into the woods because he felt like that was the place where he connected at the deepest level with God. And it was there that God would just, just basically surrender amazing ideas for George Washington Carver to pursue. So this was a conversation that he said he had when he was a very young man with God. And he said it went something like this. God, I have such an amazing mind. Can you teach me the wonders of the universe? And he felt that God replied, you have such a tiny brain. You can't possibly handle the universe. He said, okay, Lord, how about the planet Earth? No, your brain is still way too small. He said, okay, Lord, how about the human body, the amazing human body? No, you have such a tiny brain, George. You just don't understand. He said, well, what about the plant life? I come to your woods every day. I call out to you. You speak to me. And he said, not even close. And he said, well, then, Lord, how about a peanut? And he goes, we'll see what we can do, okay? Now, here's what I love. Notice this response. He said, this is how I felt God spoke to me. Yes, you have modest proportions, but I will grant you the mystery of the peanut. Take it inside your laboratory. Separate it into water, fats, oils, gums, sugars, starches, amino acids. Then recombine these under my three laws of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. Then you will know why I made the peanut. That guy's a lot smarter than me. You know what I'm saying? Now, here's what's amazing. He created over 300 ways to use the peanut. And the most glorious, I'll get to in just a second, he uh, presented, uh, he created cosmetics, glue, linoleum, and peanut butter. Can I have an amen? Yeah, <laughs> peanut butter. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand that God does on a consistent basis. He can take something like a peanut that seems so totally insignificant and create something that is significant. He does that all the time. I love what it says in God's Word, and you need to follow closely with me here because this is an important scripture. When we talk about significance, here's what significance means. It is the quality of being worthy. It is the quality of having uh, worth and influence. Significance. God can take something or someone or someplace that seems insignificant, and he'll make that significant. I believe that with all my heart. 
1 Samuel 16.7 is a little verse that's tucked away in the Old Testament, but it is such a powerful verse because of when it was spoken and what it was spoken about. 1 Samuel 16.7 says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Yeah, any guy that has ever been dumped by a girl, you've heard this verse because your mother said it to you. It's not about appearance, honey. It's about your heart. No, I just got dumped. Okay, we all know that it's a huge, important verse. Now, back up a little bit and let this verse sink in. Samuel is speaking to God, and God is speaking to Samuel. He said, the nation of Israel is crying out for a king, and they want a king like all of the other nation's kings. And to put it in an American way, they want somebody tall, dark, and handsome, okay? And God is saying, they don't get it. I've already rejected that idea. I'm not looking for that kind of king. I'm looking at a king from the inside out. I want to know that this is a man seeking me out with his what? His heart. Now, why is that so important? When he spoke those words, in just a short time, he would anoint the future king, and that would be King David. Do you know where he did that? Bethlehem. It seems like a place that kings start their reign. And 900 years later, the ultimate king would come to us. Not an outward appearance to impress anyone, but he came with a heart so driven to change the world that we're all here on a Sunday morning to allow Christ to get a hold of our life. And then you talk about insignificant. Look who he chose, Mary a young Hebrew girl, Joseph, a carpenter, a simple man. And with those two, he began a journey that would change, hopefully, everybody's life in this room. So let me share just a little bit about that journey and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. So Joseph also went to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, we all know the Christmas story and the birth of Christ, but we're going to talk this morning about something probably you haven't talked much about, and that is that journey to Bethlehem. You ever thought about the journey? Let me give you a a couple of uh, statistics that are important, I think. The distance, we're going to pull up a map here. The distance is approximately 80 miles one way. Now, I want you to think about 80 miles. That would be like us right now getting in a car and driving to Marshall, Illinois on Highway 70. How many know where Marshall's at? There's no reason to go there, but you know where it's at, okay? Okay, 80 miles. Now, here's the thing, though. You're not driving. And you're not walking on a nice road, you're walking on a trail, 80 miles. Now imagine this, not only are you walking 80 miles, you're walking with your wife, your wife-to-be, who is eight months pregnant. Now you see all these beautiful Christmas cards, and Mary and Joseph, they get that pleasant smile, she's on a donkey, I've ever seen that card, okay? No mention of a donkey in the Bible. So I have no idea whether they had a donkey. I doubt it because they didn't even have enough money when they got to Bethlehem. So here they were walking along. 
And imagine the agony mile after mile after mile. And here's the thing that breaks my heart. I was talking to Tom about it this week as we were both reading through the text, and we both said, you know what's amazing? There's no mention of any family that was with them on that trip. Think about that. Can you imagine how lonely it would be to have this amazing burden on you? Imagine the burden that both of them are carrying, knowing that nobody could possibly understand what they're going through, that here's Mary that's pregnant. It is not Joseph's child. And they're carrying the burden of also that the Savior was coming through them, traveling 80 miles, mile after mile after mile. Imagine the cold evenings. Imagine how lonely it was. There was no family to talk to. See, we need to understand something. That Christmas, as amazing as it is for so many folks, there's also a lot of folks that this is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's actually a very lonely time of the year, a very painful time of the year. And think how lonely they were on that journey. Matter of fact, I thought about loneliness in a whole new way, uh, and I'm going to play a soundbite, and uh, it's a little-known song. I don't know if any of you have heard it, but we're going to just play a few seconds of it, and let's see how many of you know who sang it. Are you lonesome tonight? Do you miss me tonight? Okay, that's good. I don't want to cry. Okay, um, you, pro- you guys from Wheeler, did you think you were coming to church and we were going to throw out an Elvis? Probably not. Okay, I-, I want you to think about the lyrics of that song, Are You Lonely Tonight? And every time I hear it, I can't stop thinking about a story that I heard I'd like to share with you. His name was Gene Apple. Uh, Gene, at the time, was a, a minister at a huge church in Las Vegas called Central Christian, and they, similar to Sherwood Oaks East, they had multiple Christmas Eve services. What made this Christmas Eve service different is he had just been through an extremely painful divorce. So even as a senior minister approaching this, he's throwing everything at this, this uh, service, but deep down he knows he's just really hurting. They get through the service, and he realizes he hasn't eaten, and the next day, he's going to fly out to his family in the Midwest. So he said, I'm driving down the Vegas Strip. And as I'm driving down the Vegas Strip, nothing is open. Finally, there's like a country western casino that has a little mom and, plot, mom and pop place opened up. And he went in, and he got the blue plate special with meatloaf. And he sat there over cold potatoes and meatloaf. And then a good old boy stood up, went to the jukebox, took out a quarter, and you'll never guess what he played. You just heard it. Are you lonely tonight? And he thought, is it really going to get any worse than this? And he said, and then I had a second thought. There's one, or one of two ways to approach this. And we've all been here. Everybody in this room, when you come to those defining moments, you either laugh or you cry. And that night, he chose to laugh. But he said, then this wave of loneliness came over me. He said, I began to look around the room and I thought, how many other guys in this room right now are going through divorce? How many other people in this room right now that this is the loneliest Christmas of their entire life and they're right here sharing this with me? And you need to know and I need to know that as we drive around and there's all the hoopla and all the Christmas stuff, you need to realize there's just as many folks that they're just hanging on that this is such a difficult place to be. But you know what I love about God? 
God can take something or someone or someplace that seems insignificant and he can make it significant. For example, Bethlehem. Think about this beautiful little town. The prophet Micah in 5.2 says this, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old and from ancient times. And 700 years later, God sent his son to us through Bethlehem, the little town of Bethlehem. Here's what you need to know about that little town. It's six miles southwest from Jerusalem. In Hebrew, Bethlehem means the house of bread, and it's also called the city of David. The population in Bethlehem today is 27,000. 1.5 million tourists this year, even with all that's going on in the world, are going to make their way to Bethlehem. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's estimated the population was somewhere between 300 and 1,000. Not a very big area at all. It would be like, can you imagine, if word got out that somewhere the Savior was coming to Indiana, and then somebody said, I think it's Harrodsburg. Now, what would we think about that? I don't think so, okay? Now imagine as the, the word got out, a Savior's coming. Where? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Why would the Savior come to Bethlehem? Let me tell you one reason I think that he came to Bethlehem. Not only was it the city of David, but it's interesting when, when the folks, not just for the census, but anytime folks came in and they were going to the temple and they would always bring sacrificial lambs to the temple, do you know where they got those sacrificial lambs? Bethlehem. Why do you think the shepherds were out in the field? Because they were known as the, honestly, they bet not only the best tasting, but they were the lambs that were used for sacrifice. See, they were looking at the birth of a king, and that was when the moment God knew he's really on a journey to the cross. This is really the ultimate sacrifice, and the story is just beginning. So next time when you sing a Christmas song, and you lift up old little town of Bethlehem, you think of the power of that little town. And you think of the sacrificial lamb that was slain for everybody in this room and what that means. We shouldn't be surprised because significant events happen in small towns all the time. Marie and I have had the opportunity a couple times to go to Gettysburg. And in 1863, Gettysburg, population 2,000. But yet you can't hear Gettysburg without thinking about what took place there and a president who followed up there with a speech that all of us had to memorize in grade school. Bethel, New York, population 4,200. Anybody know what happened in Bethel, New York in 1969? They had a nice little uh, music festival called Woodstock. And imagine a little community, a farming community, with 500,000 teenagers showing up, okay? We think little five is a party. This was a party. And then some of you will know where Sturgis, South Dakota is. Anybody know where Sturgis is at? Boy, Wes got to stand up quick. Okay, anybody know what happens in Sturgis every year? Yeah, a few motorcycles show up. Okay, a few folks show up. And their seventh anniversary, 2010, 466,000 people showed up. You ready for this? There were 147 arrests and 74 weddings. I think that gives me hope. <laughs> 
Wouldn't you love to see that Christmas card? Yeah, no, I wouldn't. Okay, but anyway, they also removed 583 tons of garbage. That's Sturgis. So here's a town of 6,800 that every year hosts probably the largest motorcycle rally in the United States. See, significant things happen in small towns and in small places. And that's what I love about God. Some of you here this morning, I guarantee you feel inadequate, insecure, incomplete, and defeated. At times you feel lost, and you wonder if God is truly in your life, and you feel insignificant. And we know through the power of Jesus Christ that your life is significant. You matter. You matter to God. He would not have sent his son if you were not significant. No matter how insignificant you felt when you walked through the door this morning. And I guarantee some of you, you're just hanging on. You came in this morning and thinking about Christmas is the last thing you possibly want to think about. You don't feel significant. You don't feel worth. But through Jesus Christ, you have worth. I hope you believe that with all your heart. You are priceless to God. He can take anyone who feels insignificant, and he can give you significance, not because of you, but because of him. That's why we're here, and that's why we worship every Sunday, because of what he has done for us. I don't know if you're aware of this. It's a very important anniversary um, this Christmas season. It's Charlie Brown's 50th anniversary. Did you know that? Yeah, let's give it up for Charlie Brown. Yeah, yeah. You cheered more for Charlie Brown than Jesus, but that's between you and God. Okay, okay. So here's what's interesting about the 50th year anniversary. If you, how many have seen that at least 10 times? Am I the only one? that uh, My mom and I and my sister, we used to watch Charlie Brown. And I don't know what is the most memorable part of Charlie Brown Christmas. First of all, it's that dance. Remember Schroeder? I love that tune. And, and they all had the same dance. They'll do this. And, and then I, I remember, I, like when I watch it now, and I'm like, that probably costs about $73 in production. You know what I mean? It's just, there's nothing there. Or you remember the pathetic little Christmas tree because anybody who's had a live tree over a course of time will make reference to that tree. That looks like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree, okay? What I remember, the most vivid part, was actually towards the very end when Linus, the spotlight came on him with his blanket and he threw down the reading of the Christmas story in such a powerful way that it was so pure. I loved it. And whenever I hear anything about Charlie Brown's Christmas, I don't even think about the Christmas story as much as I think about the creator, Charles Schultz. When he created Peanuts, here's what you need to understand. In his life, he felt totally insignificant. He'd been rejected time and time again. About the only thing he could do is he doodled. And he thought, maybe I can make some money at this. And so he went to Disney Studios and was rejected. How would you like to be the guy at Disney that rejected Charles Schultz? But he kept drawing and drawing, and then he thought, you know what I need to do? I need to put life into these characters, and everything is going to run through this little boy with a round head named Charlie Brown. And I know a lot about Charlie Brown, because I am Charlie Brown. All through his life, he said, when I had a bad day, Guess what the next day's cartoon strip? Charlie Brown had a bad day. And he said, we did that for year after year after year. I guarantee some of you in this room, 
you feel just like Charlie Brown. Like life has just kind of kicked you in the teeth and you just kind of get through life. You just keep churning it out. But you need to know you can hang in there through the love of Jesus Christ. And that he loves you with all his heart. And that God can take anything and God can take anyone at any time that appears to be insignificant and he can make it significant. Let's pray. God, we come before you today and at times we are broken and at times we cry out to you and you promise us through your word that you love us so much that we are significant because of you. Thank you. We praise you. And in all things we do, we bring glory to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.